This is the Leadership and Insurance Podcast, brought to you by FinPro Search Partners. Insurance companies are businesses and they need to look for the long term and be sustainable. We went from zero to one and now it's going from one to a hundred. Insurance as, as a concept, as a kind of service, is brilliant. The execution is what we're looking at now. I think the companies that are going to succeed are the ones that are going to understand and master the art of intent. When we talk about innovation, we lean too heavily to think about technology and we don't think about creating a culture of innovation. I think innovation is essentially continuous improvement of existing processes and platforms and product, right? It's got to be easy. It's got to be seamless. Hello and welcome to the Leadership Insurance Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very lucky today to be joined by Lo from Roots. Um, Lo, how are you? Hi, well? Yeah. yeah Thanks for having me on the podcast. No, not at all. And uh, for those that are just listening and not viewing, you can't see it, but there's some there's some good nerd memorabilia that we were just getting into. Um, <laughs> but we might come back to that later. I, I do, no, I do run an informal competition on the podcast about who has the best backdrop, and and yours is yours is strong. There's some there's some good space exploration stuff there. But before I get distracted, which is how I've started these things before, no, it'd be great if you could introduce yourself and obviously the root business as well. Okay, cool. Thanks. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, on the backdrop, I still need to add some neon lights, then I think I'm getting closer to the YouTube influencer uh, <laughs> theme. But anyway, so um, yeah, myself, my name's Lo. I'm or Lo Hopley. I'm the co-founder and CEO of a um, business from South Africa called Root. Um, and I've been, my own background, I've been an engineer building product and tech companies um, since, even since school days, I've been traveling the world after that. Um, and we've been building Root for the past, I think, about seven years. And our whole mission with Root is kind of going, like, people in insurance are tied up with red tape and a lot of, um, call it bottlenecks and or barriers, rather, that makes it very difficult to innovate and actually solve real customer problems out there. So that's kind of why we started Root, is to try and see if we can leverage technology to make it easier for other builders and other um, innovators to to kind of take on the call it disruption or evolution rather of insurance. So what we see is we're seeing that the internet economy or the internet age is is here. It's very like everything's digital, um, and obviously insurance still has a long way to go to kind of um, reach the same level of consumer engagement and and or, or interaction that you would find from all other kinds kinds of industries. Um, if you look at stuff like social media and pretty much everything else is app-based and efficient um so we're going how do we get insurance into whatever insurance should look like in the future um and that's that's root's goal so so what does root do root pretty much we're a um, cloud-based api first insurance platform and we focus on affinity based or embedded insurance um enablement so we're an end-to-end platform from quote all the way through to claim it's modular um it's proven at scale. It runs a few million policies and I think currently something like 63 or so odd different products on the platform. But it's all focused on enabling big brands with um, existing customer bases to embed insurance as part of their user journey. Um, doesn't matter what line of product, but to kind of make insurance part of that experience so that it's seamless for customers um, and that people get protection where where needed and where it's otherwise quite difficult um, to get. So that's, that's a bit of a summary of what we do at Root. 
Yeah, awesome. Thank you for that. And 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 that's I think it's the interesting point because I think you're a business that last couple of years I've been aware of, but you've been around for seven years. So I, I was like, you know, that makes you a veteran in insure tech terms, I think. And and so the offering today, is it the same as when you started or or was there some pivots along the journey? Well, it, it depends how far back you go in history. Um, <laughs> I won't delve deep, but we actually started Root, the brand, as a programmable bank for software developers. So we did pivot quite hard from banking to insurance. Um, but even, even in insurance where we started, so I'm a software engineer. I'm not an insurance person by any means. Um, and I think to a large extent, that's to our advantage because we take an outsider view to the industry and try not to recreate patterns. What we did was um, when we started, we were actually focused on enabling insured techs or new insurance brands to launch to market. So we built some early platform, call it technology, and we used that to help companies go from zero to one. But what we very quickly learned was insurance is insanely hard, and it's equally hard for the small startup of two or three people trying to launch their idea than it is for a big brand with millions of customers to launch insurance to their customers. It's equally hard, except the ones got uh, distribution solved. Um, so therefore, somewhere early on, I think it was about six months in, we started pivoting our focus from helping small businesses get going to helping big businesses get going. And that's that's how we very early on in our journey became an enterprise um, focused solution out there. We've always been focused on APIs and the developer experience. So that has never changed. Um, our documentation and guides has, has always been front and center. We we always took inspiration from Stripe being like enabling developers, um, even though in insurance, you still have big we're dealing with big enterprises. You have many other stakeholders at play, but the developers in that journey still matter. They still need to actually build the thing that goes to market. Mm-hmm. Um, so we invest fr- from day one, we've invested heavily in that um, aspect of what we do. I suppose, I mean, the, the, the thing is you need the developers to love working with your tool or your solution, right? Because yeah. you know, they're ultimately going to be your biggest um evangelists right when they get somewhere else and also internally so kind of if you keep them happy then then presumably that's not a, and that's, that's exactly the game or the playbook except it's very hard in insurance because it's a complex industry with lots of moving pieces of parts right yeah well i just wanted to dig into your history as well because you touched on it you know in introduction but you know i was looking over linkedin you you bay area you're working on all sorts of stuff you were kind of doing a lot of kind of app development um so any you could have done any market, you know. I wasn't very imaginative, low. I fell I fell into insurance and then I'm still here. But but you 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 were outside and came in. So why? I mean, obviously you, part of the journey there was like looking at banking and then the pivot into insurance. It's like so why insurance is it is it the scale of the problem to solve or is it the, was there something else like fundamentally there? Um, I think my journey is similar to what you explained. I tripped in and then I I fell in and then it's difficult to get out. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Essentially, what, what happened was we were building these banking, the, the banking stuff that I mentioned before. And in that journey, I met up with a guy who's now my co-founder, Jonathan Stewart. Um, and he was based at Momentum Metropolitan, one of South Africa's largest um, or large insurers, a big group with multiple licenses and different lines. And in his role there, he was exploring what does it look like if you unbundle an insurance company and you make that available to innovators. And that resonated quite a lot of our view of like breaking down barriers for software developers to build um, the future in the industry. So we started like partnering there and, and kind of experimenting with some, some ideas on the side. Um, this was still whilst we were running this banking project. 
Um, yeah, so we started experimenting with some ideas that took off. It actually worked. There was some early signs of of like real value that we're creating. Um, and then it just started like a snowball started rolling and rolling and growing. And then very quickly, we learned that there's this huge gap where, in, I don't know, people call it embedded insurance today, but essentially like white label partner based insurance, where we realized that that is intrinsically makes a lot of sense. Like as a, as an outsider, it goes like, why is this not true? Why, why can't I get insurance when I, I don't know, buy my bicycle, book my holiday or, or whatever you're doing. Um, why is it so decoupled? And that's just when we started playing more and started diving deeper and deeper and deeper. And it, it worked like we managed to solve the right problems at the right time. Um, and, and, and it just rolled up from there. I've got, yeah, I think that's an interesting thing that I've been playing with is that, and I know sometimes this sounds like a stupid question, but like, I'm always intrigued when we're talking about embedded, it's like, how do you define embedded? Because I don't think it's a one size fits all thing, but it's been displayed, it's been displayed as that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I find it fascinating. I think it's definitely the buzzword of the day. Um, yeah. But it definitely speaks to a valid category. So I'm not dismissing the category, but I always laugh at the word because we come across companies that have been doing what in today's definition, many people would call embedded insurance. But they've been doing it for 30 years. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so this is definitely not new um, by any means. So embedded insurance, my definition of it is perhaps a more a bit more loosely coupled. And I can also explain like kind of the different types we've seen. But I essentially see embedded insurance as when insurance is sold through um, a different product or service through that journey. It's part, it's secondary to some other offering that a customer whether it's an individual or a, or a business, um, they're buying some service or product and insurance is then made part of that or very easily accessible um, coupled to that. That's kind of what I see as embedded. Um, I don't know if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, no, it does. I, I, I think um, I think, I think where I was, where I'm going in my mind is that as we've started to see more and more embedded solutions, I'm sort of seeing like a sliding scale of where they are. You've got like what I would call like true embedded where... You're actually selling. I'm thinking of things like um, what we had on the podcast. This is escaping my brain. Um, talk back to me. Arms. Um, so they're selling a, an insurance solution that and one of their products is almost like sold has an insurance element that I don't even think the consumer would know because they're presenting it as a if this gets stolen, you get these vouchers in return straight away to go and get you back on yeah, the road because yeah. they're insuring tradespeople. But then you've got at the other end of the spectrum, um, an old school, as you say, 30 years, like an affinity op uh, opportunity, whereas I book a flight and then the point of sale, they're going, do you want to add travel insurance? And so I think they're essentially in the same category, but they operate very differently. Um, I think that's what I'm starting to kind of see. So I, I don't want to call one true embedded and not, but I think there's a, and I suppose exploring that, you know, you've got all these different clients that you're working with. Are they using it all in all of those versions or sort of all of those yeah, kind of range of reference? Yeah, I would short answer is yes. And kind of how we started categorizing embedded insurance is that there's four categories, of which the fourth one I kind of think is, which I'll get to now, I don't think it really counts, but it's on the list. So the first one is is essentially like intrinsic insurance. That's where um it's like true, that's the most embedded you can imagine. That's when you're um buying a plane ticket and you've got travel cover without even like it's just one of the line items there it's not even a checkbox you just get it you, you can't opt out or anything like that um a good example of that is uh, the bank i bank with investec 
Um, when you're buying travel, when you're buying a plane ticket of your Investec bank card, you automatically get an email in your inbox saying, hey, you've got cover with Bright, travel cover. There's no, no saying yes or no, it's free, it's just included in the thing. Um, that's intrinsic insurance. The second one is um, opt-out bundled insurance. So that's also often in a travel insurance, you see that where there's a checkbox. The checkbox is pre-selected, so you get it unless you deselect it. That would be one. The conversion rates on that is still quite high. And um, the second one is then the opt-in. So that's part of a user journey where there's a checkbox you can go check. Maybe it's on one of these um, e-hailing services where you can go and add this other option, enable it for your account or that type of thing. Um, that's also quite embedded because it's essentially white labeled or tightly coupled into that user journey. Um, but the user needs to opt into it. So the, the uptake on that is typically quite a lot lower and it's quite a mission for companies to, to actually get um, customers to adopt it. So yeah, so there's various strategies that one can apply there. And then the fourth one, which I'm always skeptical about, and that is what we dubbed um, billboard insurance. And that's when you get your mega app or your super app or any app, and they just have a bunch of logos of insurers in there. And they say, you can get insurance. Um, very often the banks do this in their banking app. They say, under some menu item called insurance, if you click that, it shows like three insurers logos. Mm -hmm. And most often, if you click that logo, it tells you they're going to call you back. Um, instead of actually allowing you to take up cover. So that one is on the list, but it's it's at the bottom somewhere, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's you're the first person that's categorized it, and uh, we've had lots of embedded things on, so thank you for doing that, because I think it speaks a little bit to this slightly, you know, spiky question, which was that, you know, embedded is the buzzword, right? It's definitely been the thing that we've talked about for the last 12 months a lot on the podcast. Um it's been embraced really heavily. I, it makes perfect sense. You know, it's a, it's a bit like parametric for me. I'm just like parametric just makes sense. You know, for for me as a small business owner, parametric for me is probably more. If, if I could have a policy cover for that, I just want to get back in business. You know, so that makes sense. Embedded at the same time is the same thing. Like, you know, I'm a forgetful person. So if you embed insurance buying that I have to buy in my journey, then I'm very very happy. But talking to a, a number of investors, you know, there's a lot of kind of investors we talk to from our role as a, as a, as a talent partner to the industry. There's a, sort of, a lot of people saying, that, yeah, we're, there's a lot of money going into it, but there's also a lot, not a lot of policies being sold in certain areas of the market. Um, what do you think people have got wrong when that's the case? Um, and, and I suppose when you're working with your partners, the reverse of that is like, how, how do you ensure you get it right? Yeah, that's a good question. I've been thinking through scenarios in my head now. Do you think it varies significantly based on the type of product you're selling and through which type of journey you're selling? So we've seen cases where, um, especially if you think you're like intrinsic insurance, the uptake there is hundred percent. So that kind of I would ignore that one for the for this point. Um, often like credit life insurance tied to credit, um, those things are the uptake is insane. People can probably opt out of it, but nobody does, um, really. What we do see is often if products are, if the insurance product is very much an afterthought, so it's it's not tightly enough coupled into the user journey. It's almost it's there, but it's it's too far removed from it. Um, then what happens is one is the customers don't see it or, or observe it or think about it. And the second one is that it's often not very clear the context to which they, why they should have it. Um, so I don't know, it is, it is a difficult one. I'd say the closer one brings the context or, or the product to the user journey where the context is obvious, 
but there's no explaining needed because the customer's in that um, journey that just the, the easier it gets. What also happens often is with embedded insurance in the market. So we don't really play in this with this category of insurance because it's we, we deem it the not the way it should be going, but the, this is the call, call me back functionality. So a lot of embedded insurance actually lands as a, it's there, it's a checkbox, um, you can use it, but then it doesn't actually execute the, the insurance immediately. It does force you to go into an asynchronous um, onboarding journey. So that also, I think the drop-off rates there are substantial enough that I would reconsider doing that. So for us, it's always, it needs to be tightly coupled. It needs to be, onboarding needs to be as close to real time and instant and part of the existing journey as possible. Um, we've heard of cases, luckily we, we don't deal with that directly, where the embedded is so so far removed that the user has to go through a completely separate onboarding journey to get that cover, which means, it's, is it really embedded? It's actually just a lead gen service that you're running. Um, so yeah, so I don't have a concrete answer for do this, don't do that. I do think it matters getting close to the customer and actually just understanding the customer, like buying journey and what they're doing. And, and how you can make life easier for the customer themselves. And that's that's how you'll kind of get better uptake. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that is a good answer to it because I think what I was, I, I think about, I'm one of those customers that's been through one of those things that's sort of presented as embedded, but it's, it wasn't, it was the sort of, you know, we were going to call you. And and then, and then I, I remember, because I've just done it recently, I've just done my health insurance. And, um, was was going to because I'm, I'm such a nerd about insurance now that I'll I'll go right I'll take that box and I want to see what that process looks like and, and it's exactly that and and they were asking me all of my data and and it was like well this is I've already done that for this other buying pattern I'm in so the fact that I have to repeat that pattern this is is so you know I hung up and did something else um but and I think lots of people are and I think that's the thing isn't it if if you can't truly embed as an embedded buyer of insurance, it says something about you, about the way you want to transact in the world. And I'm, obviously, I'm specifically talking about personal lines, but you know, in that specific example, I found someone that would do it all online for me because I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was like, I don't have time. I don't want to. <laughs> I'm at home. I talk enough on the phone. And it's, it's, so it's not just getting as close to the customer. It's like being as close to the relationship that's being had by the sort of, the embedded distributor or that that initial yes. brand. I think that's a good way of articulating it. Because yeah. you want to slot, you want to slot into the relationship that they already have. Um, you don't really want to create a new relationship. Yeah, so, so you need to do it in the same way as well. Um, yeah, fascinating. Um, let's talk to you about something, a great public announcement and congratulations on this. But you obviously announced uh, the deal with Connect by Admiral. Um, wondered if you might, yeah, you know, walk us through that partnership, what that means, you know, the products you've got there, and and then we can, yeah, I'd like to dig into those partnerships because now I've got to talk about something public that we can really discuss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, cool. So that was recently announced. So what we've been doing there, just in summary, and then I'll dive into the detail, is um, the pioneer team at Admiral, which is their venture building, looking for new like um, parallel segment opportunities in the market. Um, they set out to figure out embedded insurance. So they set out to figure out how can they leverage the big brand of Admiral, the well-trusted and respected brand, um, and make products available for other brands to to embed that and make that part of the journey. So our path or our journey with, with this team started about a year ago um, was maybe Q4 of the previous year. And 
we started out by doing a first project and a first call it POC project on not just to validate whether Root is a good partner, but also to validate whether they can, as as that unit, do this type of insurance product. Like what are all the ins and outs and the pains um, involved when doing embedded insurance? It's not as simple as creating an insurance product and uh, getting a partner and saying, yeah, it's, uh, there's a lot of um, organizational integration that needs to happen, obviously technical integration and, and stuff like that as well. So we did that early uh, at the end of last year. Um, we got them, helped them get value fast by helping them launch their first partner very quickly, their first call it, um, embedded partner there. Um, and that was was vehicle subscription-based insurance. That's with the platform called WagonX. That's essentially people renting vehicles. Instead of buying vehicles, they, they rent it for medium to long-term periods. Um, and then as part of that user journey where you're applying and, and essentially renting the car all online, you now have the ability to take out insurance with that. So it's all plugged into that that existing user journey. So that's where we started. That was quite a quite a good opportunity. We learned a lot in the process. Um, we also spent quite a lot of time with this Admiral Pioneer team, very cool people. And essentially, we learned that the human component in doing this type of partnership is very important. It's not just tech. So even though the tech is, is already proven at scale and powerful and flexible and can do a lot of this stuff, um, that's kind of just the foundation. On top of that, you need to kind of do a lot of um, human, call it interactions, helping people get on board, educating people, um, educating them on embedded insurance, on the platform, on the nuances of working with a partner um, and, and building on that. Because obviously our, our team has done a lot of this um, over the last few years. We've helped a lot of partners get products out and helped a lot of, call it affinity partners, deal with their insurers as well as insurers deal with their affinity partners. And often I find that there's a gap. They don't speak the same language. Um, so the one is maybe in retail and the other one's in insurers, in insurance. Um, so that's been that's been that. So we've been building on that. We only did the press release recently, um, which was we think the timing was right now for that. We the, the relationship's in a good space. Um, and we're also busy launching a few more partner um, affinity partnerships um, on that connect, uh, call it platform or business. So yeah, that's that's been the journey so far. It's quite an exciting one, and I'm looking forward to, to seeing all the cool stuff we can do with that. Because bringing a big brand like that actually does does help with the embedded journey quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, there must be so yeah, there must be so much that, that there's such a powerful um, partnership. I, I I'm fascinated by these teams, and, and you know, selfishly because we've we've done some work with some of these sort of innovation teams within some of the big insurers. Um, it's probably actually the only part of the legacy. Uh, the industry that we we actually play with uh, because we're normally only working with kind of insure tech, but it is that integration and and what is it that kind of makes that work? Is it is it because I always think the people that work in those teams it's just like their their skill set is 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 communication. Like that's that's really when you cut it down, it's like that can be smart. They have to understand concepts, but it's more that they have to bring leadership with them maybe underwriting leaders with them and then they've obviously got to communicate externally with with you know like a group for example um yeah did you see sort of core competencies within those teams that you think make it successful um that's a very good question i feel like there's a there's a lot to that um so i can answer maybe to some of it um i, th I think it is a complex puzzle within those if you're asking like how how a venture unit like that can be successful or where they get successes um it is it is broad it's being on top of the market and being on top of what 
tech and other partners to leverage in the market because you can't build everything and you should definitely not build everything. Um, but at the same time, it also takes a lot of internal organizational management. So if I just take the journey we've, we've been having with Pioneer um, it, at, at Admiral, it takes that team a lot to bring the group business and the right stakeholders in the group business along on the journey. So there's a lot of things happening behind the scenes that they do just to get the support um, and the backing to to be able to experiment and try and, and do this type of project. Um, what is also important to note is that these projects and any innovation, if you start any company or any product, even definitely outside of insurance, is you have to start small and iterate. You can't you can't just go big and hope for the big things. And to get a big group to sign that off or approve that type of experimentation is quite a big ask because they're not used to it. They always look at the numbers. And if you're um, at that scale, you're obviously looking for big numbers off the bat. But the idea is that you experiment and you grow to those big numbers. So I think a lot of that um, plays there. And then also talent, like just for them getting the right people into their business. Because um, you're you're in this weird middle space between managing the corporate, but you, you're kind of free to to move fast and iterate, but you're going to have to manage that balance. And it takes takes good people who can carry that and then and, and drive that forward. So I think those are those are some of the things. So it's like stakeholder management people, like really good people, and then leveraging partners to, to, to solve some of the big blocks out there. Yeah, I think the really interesting roles, and, and selfishly, I thought <laughs> the reason I went into InsurTech from having been a headhunter in insurance for so long was just, I just wanted to be, reinvigorated and energized by by the, the by the businesses and 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 those kind of corporate venture or innovation teams um yeah you, it, it's it's very interesting work um and and it, and it represents what i think insurers should be doing and they clearly take it very seriously is it's it's the r d space um, and that doesn't mean you building it all in-house which is what it used to but obviously um you know something like this kind of uh, pioneer team at, at admiral is exactly what um, what good looks like i think in insurance um yeah. on top of that i just kind of wanted to kind of ask you about um another announcement you, you just appointed a uk country manager um exciting times take, so, sorry exciting times yeah 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 it is it is um i'd be more excited if i'd help you to secure it but you know uh, <laughs> <laughs> um but why why was the uk so important was it was it was this overall kind of partnership that led to that because there's obviously other other you know us is obviously an obvious market where you might want to go but why uk first um so we did quite a there I say deep analysis and for a startup that's quite a big thing like you don't you kind of need to just move fast and, and test things we as a company in South Africa our ambition has always been to build a global platform so so we're we see it as we're building like infrastructure for the future of insurance so we want everybody in insurance over time to use what we're building but obviously we need to incrementally get there we can't just um go big and and solve for everybody everywhere it's it's especially in insurance that's insanely complex so what we kind of with a lot of research we got to um the fact that the uk is essentially the insurance or a big insurance hub for the world um sure the us itself is quite big but everybody else in the world kind of couples to to the uk and even the guys in the us uh, speaking especially because lloyd's and the lloyd's market exists in london so Time zones help, language help. There's a lot of South Africans in the UK that helps. Um, so we decided the first step is to actually go tackle the UK itself, set it up as a hub, and then work um, beyond that from there as a, as a like next phase. What we did find interesting in the UK, though, 
is firstly that regulations are very similar to South Africa. So in South Africa, you've got quite a dualistic uh, economy. So you've got um, very well-established financial system, which also got a large segment of, um, let's call it uh, poorer people that are typically underserved. And that's actually quite a good test bed for us because we do play in both. And then taking the learnings from that, taking all these like um, consumer duty type, treat your customers fairly things in South Africa that are perhaps more string and more advanced than what you get in the UK. We've built a lot of that into our platform. So going to the UK, we're actually pretty well geared to, to operate there. Um, and the other one for us as an experiment was there's a lot happening in the UK. So everybody, a lot of people advise us against going to the UK because they're claiming it's a red ocean. There's a lot of players there. There's a lot of competition. Um, but very quickly, we learned that there's a lot of um, talk and very little show for it um, in the markets. There's a lot of people talking big game, people talking on stages, um, but they don't actually have the real substance behind it to back it. And, and we've been sitting on this platform that we scaled up, call it in almost like in, in silence down in South Africa, and we could just bring that to the market um, right off the bat. And that worked. That's that's how we managed to land Admiral as well. And because we had a thing that that was working, we had real case studies and real clients using it in production um, that helped us kind of leapfrogged into it. So it's basically to answer your question in short, it's, it's because it's a hub, um, and it's a very nice central place to expand from to, to many other places in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think I think the point about the US versus um, versus the UK as a kind of like distribution from there, because um, that doesn't get mentioned enough when I'm talking to insurtechs looking to expand. I'm, I'm thinking you can go from here to anywhere. America's great, but you it's 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 more standalone than people think and obviously it's this enormous marketplace but yeah it's interesting kind of next steps um fun enough south africa we keep we keep threatening with a south african office for ourselves for, for the same sort of time zone reasons you know cultural kind of entire um moving on to the kind of the, the platform end-to-end -end api um platform integration um now you and i are probably sitting here going obviously everyone so welcome this is open arms but is there any resistance to api integration beyond legacy um then you know this is a i mean this is a potentially technical question but is any of this justified any of the pushback um i can't think of any of it, but i always think from a business sense but i don't know if at a technical or regulatory level that there is any sensible pushback as you would see it um Yo, firstly, just to, to kind of um, position it. So we, we focus on essentially personal lines and maybe SME insurance where it's high volume, uh, purely digital onboarding type journeys. So I just want to state that. So it's not talking about the complexities you get in Lloyd's because that's a whole can of worms. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Full of worms. It's complicated. <laughs> I'll have very different tech opinions if when looking at that segment of the market than, than where we play. Yeah. Um, I think the, I think people need to kind of step up on tech. I think tech is holding back innovation and holding back doing useful things. Um, we're obviously that's where we play. We're in the cutting edge of that. But even like a lot of the legacy stuff people sit on solves the problem that they're busy with today, but it it completely blocks them from solving anything tomorrow. Mm -hmm. um, so so you get people who are kind of like just comfortable they're in the safe space safe zone they're just going this thing works we just want to sit on this um and and yeah i've got mixed mixed views on that whether 
is it safe to just stay stable or should you kind of lean in and, and try new things? What we do see is with legacy tech um, and platforms, people have tried doing stuff like embedded insurance before and it's very hard. It's That's why you end up with these call me back type of user journeys because the systems are actually allowed. That's mostly the only reason. It's very seldom for actual compliance or underwriting reasons. It's just because there's no way for the tech to, to execute that end to end. Um, so I think the two two reasons I've seen, probably seen more, but that I can think of now why people are aware where there's resistance. One is the complexity of it. So when when buying software, if you're buying a um, specific software, let's say video calling, and you use a tool like Zoom, it's quite easy. It's a very straightforward thing. Can the thing have a video call with someone else and work reliably? And that's kind of it. And you're done. And there's maybe like three options in the market. When it gets to insurance, you're suddenly talking about a platform that needs to be able to handle um, in the order of 50 different, maybe even 100 different user journeys and edge cases. So it's not just an API to get quotes, but what about making mid-term adjustments? What about um, canceling policies? How do you handle pro rata payments? How do you handle the payment integration to the different payment providers? Suddenly the complexity of the or the scope of a project becomes very, very big and complex. And that I think scares people off. Like, how do you select something to buy? You, you you can't go in a slide deck because everybody has slide decks. And in most cases, the slide decks um, don't represent reality um, of what's going on at, at, at the provider. So what do you go on? Like you you kind of need to kind of take a bet and just try and trust trust your gut on it. And that's difficult. That's not great. So I think that causes a lot of resistance. I think people have tried it, burnt their fingers, and then therefore, same issue. Um, and then the second one, which tightly couples to that, is just the is it real factor. Um, We've seen, I think the industry is used to bespoke software. That's like where most things are outsourced um, even to other countries. And there's some team somewhere building something custom for the insurance company or for whoever. That's how the bulk of software and insurance works. Um, and people are used to that. That's just the mindset. That's how it works. If you go to any other industry, that's often that's typically not the case. People will just use Salesforce or some tool off the shelf or some point of sale system for the restaurant nobody's going to go build their own system for that um so people are used to this like custom build thing and then when when most software companies in insurance are just essentially building custom software every single time that comes with a lot of overhead and other issues which um which is kind of against how we think the future will work with more standardization and, and utility platforms out there but that means that people have to promise things in the market that are typically not real so they go with their slide deck saying they've got apis and this and this and this um, and it's real time and all of those things. But in reality, they kind of need to go build that for the company. Or they go take some other code base and tweak it and fork it and um, update it now for this specific use case. So you 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 end up with a lot of bespoke. And bespoke's expensive. It comes with a hell of a lot of professional services attached to it. Um, maintenance for it's very expensive, all of those things. So yeah, the is it real factor is a... I don't know if people would ex explicate it like that, but that's kind of how I observe it. So they're kind of going like they don't know if what they're looking at is a real thing or not. Yeah, no, I, I can see that, and I, I think I think anecdotally, I, that's some of the feedback I I, I hear, and, and and I, you know, would say that I've been around long enough that there's skepticism with me sometimes, and it, it, it and it's related to the, what you said as well. I've seen some great decks, <laughs> and I've, I've seen some great decks that have got some less than great feedback, and 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 the gap on on. So is it real? Is it a very sensible thing? Um, we're really we're living running up on time. It's absolutely crept up on me. So, but it's always tradition low on this podcast. I always like to ask the guests of 
you know, what's next for Rogue? What's 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 happening in the next twelve months that we can look forward to? So very straightforward is um like keep on focusing on expansion in the UK market. So like you mentioned earlier, we've got our new country manager, which is a good success, great success for our business. Um, and for us, it's about just building on the, the early wins that we've got there. We've got some early clients. There's a few more that's that's not yet publicly disclosed. Building out from that and kind of re, or not re, but establishing a solid hub um, in the UK market and then expand from there. So that's pretty much what's, what's in it for us. We're just heads down, building, helping people get value in the market. Love that. Love that. Great answer. Well, I know I missed you this time, but I hope when you're next in the UK, I get a chance to um, see you um, face-to-face because it's always nice to do it. But, Lo, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. I really enjoyed it. Cool. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Alex.